Hi, I'm Holly. And I am Danielle, and this is the Spooky Hour. Hello. I'm like choking on my tea, but like half a burp too at the same time. So Amazing. That was very awkward. What a start. Right? <laughs> Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Daniela's barfing and burping to yeah. start this day off. What a great Sunday. Happy, happy Monday. Yeah, today's Sunday for us. We uh, recorded on a Sunday, which is always so weird. I don't know where I am right now. Yeah. It it's, makes me feel like it's off. Friday night, but then it's like depressing because I have to work tomorrow. Ew. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I can just like win the lottery by tonight and quit. One, one could God, hope. God, one right? can hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. I have, a, I have a $5 winner in my, my wallet right now, so uh, maybe I can take tomorrow off. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> the whole $5. It's going to take me so far. <laughs> um, yeah, I got nothing going on this week. It was a quiet week. The weather's starting to pick up. That's the only thing that's keeping me going this week. <laughs> it's supposed to snow next weekend. Fuck off, is it? Yes. <sighs> That's what everyone well, gets so excited. Nice. They're like, it's so nice and sunny, even though it's a little bit cold. And I'm like, you guys, like this is, the, they do this every year. It's a tease. Mother Nature is a tease. And she does this. Lousy and then March weather. Yeah. And then the next week, it's like a shit ton of snow. So it's supposed to no, snow March. like Saturday, Sunday, Monday. October and March are the two like weird months here where it's like, you cannot predict the weather. There was one year, uh, it was Thanksgiving. And we were walking the dog because we had turned off our air conditioner and it was too hot in the house to live. So we literally walked to the lake in October and jumped in the lake with the dog because it was so hot. But then this year it snowed in October. Global warming, friends. So fun. It's a real thing. (laughs) But March is like the same kind of vibe. Like every day is different. I don't know how to dress. I just keep my coat in my car at all times and hope for the best. Yeah. I'm lucky because I don't have to leave the house this year. So. Ugh. I wish I'm uh, I'm back in the office three days a week and I have very mixed feelings about it. I like having the structure back because I'm not good at not having like structure in my life. I become a very lazy blob of a person. Um, but also I don't want to be in the office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no winning here. <laughs> I mean, I have structure now because I've been home for a year, but like... Yeah. See, my biggest problem is I've been back and forth. So every time they open up, uh, like, our province a little bit, my work's like, okay, let's come back two days a week. And then we get locked down and I go back to working from home. So I feel like my routine just, like, keeps getting disrupted and it just, I feel very frazzled. So I feel like if I was at home the whole time, I'd have structure, I'd have a plan, it'd be fine. But the back and forth, I'm just like, eh. By the time the end of the March hits, you'll end of the March, end of the month, end of the March. <laughs> it's technically end of March. You'll be back home because they'll be just. I lockdown. believe it. I believe it. It's coming. It and is. on that positive note, <laughs> should we talk about some murder? We should talk about some murder. Um, yeah. So this week, uh, my my the structure of my little segment here is a little bit different because the case itself is a little bit different so bear with me because this was a little bit hard for me to write um this week i'm going to talk about the highway of tears which is a stretch of highway 16 in british columbia that runs from prince rupert on the northwest coast to prince george which is like a big inland city um the highway also continues through like the rest of the provinces to the east uh but predominantly this is about the segment in bc um So this highway is somewhat infamous in Canada, but not for a very good reason. It's alleged that upwards of 40 Indigenous women were either kidnapped or found dead along this highway. However, the RCMP only formally recognizes 18 murders and disappearances on its, like, official list of cases. Um, Of the 18, quote, confirmed victims, 10 were Indigenous women or girls. Um, So there are just... 40 too many. Yeah. Uh, And that's probably even... like a a small estimate now you know what i mean like that 40 is probably not accurate Um, and i believe this like you guys aren't the only ones with stupid cops yeah oh yeah I, i get into this a little bit um and i believe that number like the 40 i think that came from 2015 ish so like there's probably even more now um so 
There are disputes on the total number of victims because indigenous groups and the Human Rights Watch, which is a, a non-government organization that advocates on behalf of people who like cannot advocate for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, they allege that the RCMP left out a various number of murders and disappearances that happened just north of the highway outside of Prince Rupert. Uh, the Human Rights Watch also alleges that uh, British Columbia has the largest rate of unsolved murders involving uh, mis- uh, indigenous women and girls in all of Canada. So they are the least good of the provinces in this aspect. Um, So like I said, this episode is a little different because there are so many victims. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list the victims next uh, and tell you just a little bit about each of their cases. And then I'm going to go into some of the investigation and the suspects in this case. Um, These cases range from 1969 to 2006. But I just wanted to note that Indigenous women and girls are still being murdered or go missing at an alarming rate in Canada. And their cases are, are, sorry, their cases are often just kind of like swept under the rug. Yeah. There's not really much attention brought to them. Uh, In 2015, a national inquiry was launched uh, to look into these murders. And at that time, it was announced that the number of missing or murdered Indigenous women and girls was over 1,200. Holy fuck that's a lot that is a lot Um, so i just wanted to say that because it is still very much a huge issue in canada and uh the rcmp only really recognizes these cases that end in 2006 i don't know how you can just like recognize certain cases when they're all like what i don't i don't so i i kind of explain how they go how they uh quote confirmed those cases uh, and like it makes sense to an extent, but I feel like it's it's time to broaden the search a little bit. Um, yeah. So these cases I'm focusing on are the, uh, quote, official 18 that the RCMP recognizes. But there are uh, many, many more victims. And uh, I just didn't want to list every single name because we'd be here for three days. Um, so the first known victim was Gloria Moody. She went missing on October 25th, 1969, when she was 27 years old. Uh, she was last seen exiting a bar on the night of the tw- uh, 25th in Williams Lake, BC. Her body was found the next day along Highway 16, and her r- murder remains unsolved. Uh, Micheline Pear was last seen July 1970, standing uh, along like the side of the highway. Uh, it's presumed she was hitchhiking, but not confirmed. She was only 18 years old. Uh, her body was found August 8th, 1970, not far from where she was last seen. Uh, again, her case is also unsolved. Gail Ways was 19 years old when she was last seen hitchhiking along the highway in October of 1973. Uh, her remains were found in April 1974, so six months later, if my math is correct. Uh, while her murder remains unsolved, there was a suspect in her case, and two other cases were also tied to the same suspect. So we're going to talk about him at the end. But these next two victims, Pamela Darlington, who was 19, uh, she was found murdered in a park that was just off the highway in 1973 she's another victim that was tied to this suspect and then um this third uh victim colleen mcmillan uh she was also tied to this suspect she was 16 years old when she went uh missing while hitchhiking uh this is actually very common a lot of them were hitchhiking and a lot of them were like hitchhiking to a friend's house which i guess was very common at the time like yeah Almost all of them were last seen going to a friend's house by hitchhiking. Well, this is like no... this, the late 60s, early yeah. 70s. It's very yeah. common back then, right? And this, there's this huge stretch of highway that connects all these little towns, but there's no major bus route. Yeah. So they that was their way of, um, of traveling. And they did put a bus route eventually, but uh, Greyhound decided there wasn't enough income coming in, so they canceled those buses. Of course they fucking um, did. Yeah. <laughs> So, you're telling uh, me you guys don't get enough fucking income just to leave one yeah, bus route yeah whatever literally and it was it hit all of the major towns and everything like it was it was i don't want to say the solution to this problem but i think it would have helped a lot oh, there'd be a lot less women out on the street by themselves in the middle of the night and that kind of thing um so she uh colleen was hitchhiking to her friend's house uh her remains were found one month later and her case was the one that sort of broke and found this suspect uh this big break happened in 2012 and i will talk about it in just a minute um monica ignis was 15 when she went 
missing in December of 1974. Her body was found in April 1975, just a few kilometers from where she was last seen. Uh, Her case is also unsolved. Maureen Moisey was 33 years old and was last seen again hitchhiking on the highway May 8th, 1981. Her body was located the next day just south of the intersection she was seen hitchhiking at. Uh, Her case is also unsolved. Shelly Basu uh, actually went missing from Hinton, Alberta, not BC, and she was uh, spotted walking along the stretch of highway that uh, reaches out to Alberta. Okay. same highway, different province. Um, it's alleged that she was waiting for a ride home for a friend. Whoa, I wrote that wrong. Uh, she was waiting for a ride home from a friend from her boyfriend's house. So she was at his house waiting for someone else to pick her up. Uh, she called her mom at 8 p.m. saying she was on her way. However, Shelly's mom got another phone call from her boyfriend at 9 p.m. asking if Shelly had made it. Uh, that's when her mother knew something was wrong because apparently it was only like a 15 minute walk, let alone drive away. Yeah. So the fact that he called an hour later, the sirens started going off. Um, Shelly's belongings were found a few days later, uh, sort of scattered along the highway, but Shelly's body has never been found. Oh my she gosh. is the only victim from Alberta included in the RCMP's Highway of Tears victim list, but there are more that have gone missing in that province. Um, Alberta Williams was last seen in August of 1989. Her body was found a month later by a family who was hiking in the woods near Highway 16. She was approximately 35 kilometers away from where she was last seen by a witness, which makes me think that she was taken by a vehicle or something, because that's that's quite a distance. Yeah. Um, she also has never been found, and her... Or, sorry, her case remains... Sorry, she has been found. Her case remains unsolved. Uh, Delphine Nicole vanished on June 14th, 1990, when she was 16 years old. Uh, She, too, was spotted hitchhiking along the highway. She has never been found, and her case remains unsolved. Uh, Ramona Wilson was also only 16 when she was hitchhiking along uh, the highway, again, on her way to a friend's house uh, in 1994. Her body was found almost a year after her disappearance in April 1995, uh, again, along the highway. Her case remains unsolved, but uh, she caught public attention when she was featured in a documentary that was created by a Métis filmmaker named Christine Welsh. This documentary called Finding Dawn uh, is actually about the missing and murdered First Nations women across our country and be, i guess it was because she was so young she seemed to be the the quote media darling okay. of the movie so she actually got a lot of attention to her case because of this movie um roxanne thera was 15 when she went missing in november 1994 from prince george bc her body was found near burns lake which is just off highway 16 her case remains unsolved Alicia Germain was 15 years old when her body was found near an elementary school close to the highway on December 9th, 1994. Her case is unsolved. Lana Derrick was 19 years old when she went missing on October 7th, 1995. Uh, She was last seen at a gas station near Terrace, uh, which is a town along the highway. Uh, She was overheard saying she was traveling east to her home in Hazleton. She remains missing to this day, and her case is still unsolved. Um, Nicole Hoare was from Alberta, but working in BC in the Prince George area as a tree planter, which I thought was adorable. Um, She was last seen hitchhiking from Prince George on Highway 16 West. Nicole was 25 years old at the time of her disappearance on June 21st, 2002. Uh, She has still not been found. Uh, Her case was actually one of the first ones to bring attention to the Highway of Tears. Even though the case's date as far back as 1969, it took until 2002 to get any real press coverage. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I want to say this really, really carefully because her, her disappearance is very tragic and very important. But it took the first white women white women to go missing for the public to pay attention yeah so at this point there had been dozens of indigenous women and children missing but the this victim who just happened to be white was the one who got the media attention and i'm not pointing fingers it's not her fault it's just how it happened um so i go into this a little bit at the end because there is there was some drama surrounding that in the case Um, That being said, her disappearance helped spawn the investigation surrounding the Highway of Tears. So that's when the RCMP started forming all of their, like, coalitions and stuff to help solve this. So as shitty as it was that it took that long, her case was the the big break for them. Um, 
Tamara Chipman was from Morristown First Nations. Uh, she was 22 years old when she disappeared on September 21st, 2005. She was also last seen hitchhiking on Highway 16. Uh, she has not been found and her case remains unsolved. Isla Sarek Auger was 14 when she went missing. Her family last saw her on February 2nd, 2006. Her body was found just a few days later on February 10th, 2006 in a ditch along the highway. Her case remains unsolved. And the final victim on the RCMP's uh, official list was also the youngest. Monica Jack was just 12 years old when she went missing in May of 1978. Um, She was last seen riding her bike along Highway 16. Her bike was found the next day but her remains would not be discovered for another 17 years on June 2nd, 1995. Um, so they actually found the guy that killed this young girl. That's why I left her for last. Cause hers is the only solved one. Uh, Gary Taylor Hanlon was charged with Monica's murder along with the murder of 11 year old Catherine Mary Herbert, who was not a part of the highway of tears cases. Um, he was charged in 2014. He was 67 years old at the time. Uh, he had allegedly confessed to the killings to an undercover police officer while he was like drunk at a bar and then later denied the <laughs> confession. Um, he was found guilty on first degree murder in January 2019. And Monica's is the only solved case on the RCMP's list. So they, it's not so, like one person doing all of this. It's No. So they... <sighs> They found a suspect. I'm going to talk about it for a second, but I don't think it's the only one. Like, there's no way. Yeah. Um, and that's so just the, crazy. That list, that's only 18 of them. 18 of, at that time, 40. Yeah. Potentially and, growing. Who knows how many at this unfortunately. point. Unfortunately. Yeah. So the 18 victims listed above were all part of the RCMP's official Highway of Tears investigation, which they called Project E. Panna, which is... Uh, it's like E dash P A N A. Uh, so it's, yeah, it was weird. Um, in, <laughs> I weird. couldn't figure out how to say it, but I go into what it means in just a second. Uh, it's actually like really Elon cool. Musk's kid name. Like, Literally. That's what it looks like. <laughs> um, but it actually has a really cool meeting. I'm going to tell you about it in two seconds. So in 1981, the RCMP organized a conference to investigate the growing number of unsolved cases. Um, approximately 40 police detectives from British Columbia and Alberta attended the conference. Uh, the investigation of the cases revealed a number of similarities, including reports of suspicious vehicles and uh, names of people of interest. So the same names kept popping up in, in every case kind of thing. Okay. Um but obviously not much was done at this time beyond that. They just kind of like gathered and started talking about it, but it just kind of fizzled and died. Um, fast forward to 2005, a few years after Nicole Horr's case blew up in the press. Uh, between the buzz from the press and the ongoing investigation, new similarities began popping up in cases that were missed in earlier years. So British Columbia's RCMP Unsolved Homicide Unit created Project E-Panda in the fall of 2005 in order to take a, cl- a closer look at the Highway of Tears cases. The project was actually named using uh, the Inuit word Panna, which is, uh, it's like a goddess type figure also known as the woman up there or the custian of souls uh panna is known to take care of souls in the afterlife until they're ready to be reincarnated on the earth and reborn as babies uh panna also has ties to the northern lights so apparently when you see like the northern lights in the sky it's her like bringing new lost souls in to care for and all of this stuff that's, uh, a, I just that's really... so cute i love that <laughs> Yeah, I thought the, the the sort of lore and mythology there was really pretty, and I knew you would like it, so I yeah. wanted to include that. Um, so while we don't love how uh, little the police worked on this, we do love their naming. Yeah. Um, so under Project EPANA, the RCMP had a list of criteria when reviewing missing or murdered women cases across the highway to determine whether or not they fit under the Highway of Tears umbrella. Um, so this was their way of narrowing down the list from thousands of cases to these 18. Uh, The first piece of criteria, they had to be involved in high risk activities such as hitchhiking or prostitution. Number two, victims were seen within one mile of highway 16. Although this was later expanded in 2007 to include highways 97 and five, which are like adjoining highways. Mm -hmm. Um, And three, the victims must be female. Um, so if the case fit those three things, they would be put under Project E-Panna. It was during this time that they had gathered the cases dating back to 1969 and were able to link them all together, creating the, quote, official list of victims. Um, I don't love that. No. <laughs> I don't, like, I, I get what they were trying to do, 
but I don't think it was a broad enough list of criteria considering, you know, a, a child that goes missing from that area isn't necessarily hitchhiking or prostituting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like a 12-year-old? Like, what? Yeah, I don't think she was prostituting. Um, so I just... And a lot of people had an issue with that, too, because they seem to uh, pin the the prostitute term on the indigenous women only. Whereas, like, uh, Nicole Hoare, when she went missing, it was, oh, she was a tree planter. She was this hardworking girl. But all the indigenous women were just prostitutes and hitchhikers. Like, it left a sour taste in people's mouth. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with, with sex work, but it was just the way that they were portrayed in the press that uh, indigenous rights groups had a huge problem with. Um, I can't say I fucking blame them, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, with very little answers, families began taking matters into their own hands, and several private investigations were all uh, also unleashed around the same time as Project Epana. In 2006, the families banded together, forming the Highway of Tears Symposium. The families took part in several fr- uh, fundraising walks and campaigns to help bring attention to the missing and murdered Indigenous women across the country. Over 500 delegates took part in the first annual event, including members of the RCMP and the Canadian government. Uh, still, most of these cases remain unsolved to this day. The public constantly points the finger at the RCMP and Canadian government for their disregard of First Nations people, saying they're simply just not doing enough. Uh, the leading argument is that the disappearances started in 1969, but the task force wasn't created until 2005, again, after a white victim went missing. Uh, this caused quite the controversy surrounding the case, with many victims' families saying that the RCMP didn't care about their loved ones because they weren't white. Um, however, Nicole Hoare's family pointed out that they were actually, like, really wealthy, and uh, that's unlike many of the other victims' families, so a lot of the... the uh, women and children who came from reserves and stuff were lower income, uh, whereas her parents were rich as hell. So a lot of the billboards and, and flyers and press conferences and stuff were arranged by her family and okay. not the police, um, which is fair. Like, if if I had that much money and I had someone missing, I'd fucking dish it all out, too. It's just a shame that not everyone had that same opportunity. And um, I just feel like... Like, the fact that this person, this family has money is the only reason why they... It's like the whistleblower effect. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, absolutely. Just because their family's the loudest and has the most money doesn't mean that the rest of them... Are not important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just... I I know, it's... I hate this society. (laughs) Yeah. It's it just... It would have been nice if every family had the same opportunity to put their loved one's face on a billboard, but... That being said, I still think it was important that they put her face on a billboard because that brought the attention to the other cases. It's a very no, definitely shitty situation, for yeah. lack of a better term. It just um, proves so that like people that go missing, it's just like the, f- the family shouldn't have to fund the search. Exactly, like these. People, I think that's the root of missing. the problem. That's I think that's the root of the problem. It shouldn't come down to the family having to fund their own search. Exactly. You know, so if that, again, if everyone had the equal opportunity, like, yeah, um, like the cops' job but, is supposed to be finding these missing missing women and finding their murders, and they're not doing that because they don't have a rich family behind yeah. them. So the the one rich family in the case was like, "Well, fuck that! I can do it. Let me do it." And that's absolutely fair. I would do it too. Yeah. It's just that they shouldn't have to. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so the, the family, the whore family, they claimed that there was no systemic racism on the part of the RCMP, but it was their own privilege that helped project their daughter's case into the spotlight. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think it was a combination of the two. Uh, we all know (laughs) systemic racism is very alive and well in the police force, in any police force, really. Um, and like I said, you can't really hate the family for using their privilege in that case. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just shitty. Yeah. Um, you can hate the system though, by all means, hate the system. Um, to further suspicions around the treatment of these cases, a scandal came about in 2015 when Elizabeth Denham, who was BC's information and privacy commissioner, released a 65 page report detailing how officials, uh, quote, triple deleted emails about Project Epana, which would permanently permanently remove it from the computer system. This breached the Information and Protection Privacy Act and caused an outrage among uh, Indigenous rights activists. So I, it's still not known what was in those emails. Yeah. But they were in regards to these cases and they, for some reason, like, wiped it all clean. Um, That's not, like, 
that's not suspicious at all like Like, not one bit Um, so all of the drama aside, the project isn't doing much in the way of solving these cases. Uh, the closest they've gotten were the, the three victims that I had pointed out earlier, Colleen McMillan, Gail Ways, and Pamela Darlington. Um, in 2012, new technology allowed investigators to run a DNA found on Colleen McMillan, and that DNA matched a man named Bobby Jack Fowler. Sorry, I'm having a yell puke burp moment. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, Bobby Fowler had already died in 2006, uh, but he was already behind bars in Oregon State Penitentiary. I can't say that word. We'll leave that for Danielle. Um, <laughs> bonus true crime story here. So Bobby was a convicted felon. He was travel. He was a traveling construction worker who uh, used Highway 16 frequently to travel between job sites. He was also known to do work in Florida, Louisiana, Texas, and Washington State. Uh, he was also an alcoholic and strongly addicted to amphetamines. Uh, he oh, was great. also a horrifically violent criminal. In 1969, he was actually charged with murdering a man and woman in Texas, but was only convicted of discharging a firearm within city limits. Not not the murder. Wait, what? Um, How does that yeah. even... What? <laughs> Texas. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, from there, he traveled between the U.S. and Canada as a serial rapist and all-around very shitty person. Uh, he had several run-ins with the law and was known to say that his victims wanted to be sexually assaulted because they were sex workers. So all-around, no, really works. great guy. Yeah, really great guy. Um, He was arrested in June 1995 after a woman jumped out of a window of a hotel room that she was sharing with him, uh, but she had a rope attached to her ankle. She reported to the police her horrible tale of assault at the hands of Bobby, and uh, she was actually very lucky to survive the the ordeal. She was pretty horrifically beaten. Mm -hmm. Um, He was sentenced to 16 years behind bars, but didn't live long enough to finish his sentence. He died of lung cancer in 2006. Boo-hoo. the RCMP has him listed as a suspect in the three cases I listed above, but it's believed that he could be responsible from anywhere to, uh, sorry, for anywhere from 10 to 20 deaths. Uh, he was allegedly tied to murders that took place in the States in 1992 and 1995 as well, uh, but he was never charged with any of those. Uh, so I think it's possible that he killed these three victims. I think it's possible that he killed more of the victims, but I don't think he's responsible for all of the deaths along the Highway of Tears. Yeah. Um, the dates just don't add up. Like, he was in jail and dead in 2006, but there were still cases happening in 2006. Like, it just it doesn't add up, but this seems to be the poster boy for the case this is their case solved it's him we did it kind of thing yeah um i think there's multiple suspects in this case uh it's actually really common when when there's like a long stretch of highway like that it's uh for lack of a better term a great dumping ground for these types of people um and many 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 people take advantage of it there's highways in the states too where it's the same thing like there's just bodies upon bodies found there because it's just trees surrounding a big stretch of highway like it's that's there's no population around or anything um could there be a serial killer involved maybe possibly but i just i don't think it's one person that committed every single murder or kidnapping along this highway and i would love to see the rcmp continue to look into this and continue to find these these awful people and step their fucking game up yeah so uh yeah i i didn't realize that there was that much of a what's the word i'm like like it was that densely concentrated in bc mm-hmm. all of the cases so uh when i saw that i was like shit man i really wanted to do this one because it's it's just sad i don't know and it it's bothered a, me it is and it's it's still continuing to happen unfortunately and it's not yeah. getting the attention that it should be getting because these indigenous women are still going missing and they take up majority of um the missing persons and like death cases yeah. that happen compared to the rest of society but do we ever see it on the news no we don't no no I've, I've never seen it online i've never seen it back when we got newspapers it was never in the newspapers no it's not on tv it's there's very little coverage and uh yeah i would just like to see more coverage i would like to see more arrests more suspects found yeah i would settle for dna found you know what i mean like there it just feels like do something they they put this list together they were like yeah we care and then that was it and they're just like yeah that that's our effort goodbye yeah what like yeah i know there's i don't know who it is but i i have seen it like in local newspapers um 
there is one girl, one woman who puts out pictures on her lawn of yes. all of the missing indigenous I've women seen that. Yep. over the years. And at this point, she's going to have to buy like four more properties because there's just yeah. so many. I don't know. It, as nice as it is, it's just a shame that that's the only attention it's given, really. Yeah. It's absolutely tragic and disgusting on the RCMP and um, police side, unfortunately. Yeah. So I f- do I not sound like I have like a bubble in my throat and it's just permanent? No, I think you're just... I'm losing my mind. Your, yeah. Okay. Just making sure. <laughs> you, sound, you sound fine to me. <laughs> okay. I was but like, yeah, I like that's, it, was, it was a bit of a bummer case this week, but I just really wanted to talk about it because I just, I hadn't seen another podcast talk about it. I could be wrong. I, I don't pay attention to many podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it's good to talk about and I think it's good to get that those stories out because even if you haven't listened, that have, haven't heard about it, now you have heard about it and now mm-hmm. you're like once one person starts talking about it and you just keep spreading the word snowball yeah Yeah. and hopefully that works out for this case and the little pony riders get their shit together (laughs) you just hate that they have horses eh i just don't like the rcmp i'm sorry (laughs) shit turds shit turds and with that shall we get spooky we should get spooky so i am gonna talk about I don't, it's not really a, it's, people died, okay? That's not, I was going to say <laughs> murder, but it's, we're just going to get into it. And I'm sure Dude, you, she was, she was texting me about it last night and I'm like, I'm so curious. So did you, did you make it a two-parter? Is I it a am. Two-parter? It is yes. going to be a two-parter. So you're going to, guys, you're going to get my first two-parter and it's not the Bridgewater Triangle. That's another two <laughs> But this one is going to be a two-parter. So you'll get the next part next week. Yeah yeah um so we're gonna talk about the dial at love pass incident have you heard i of don't it? know that you don't no. really it's so popular um she just lives under a rock i do so in january oh before i even fucking start you guys this case was in russia <laughs> and i am we all know how lame and dumb i am when it comes to names so i'm gonna butcher these names and i completely apologize and you can yell at me but i'm gonna do my best Bye. In all fairness, she was Googling. I watched her. We were trying to do the phonetic thing. We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing I I did this and it's really hard and it, let's just hope for the best. So in <laughs> January 1959, Igor Dyatlov got together with nine other hikers. So their names are Yuri Doroshenka, um Ludmila Dubina, Alexander Kolotov, um Yuri Kurvonshenko, Nikolai Thibu Brignoel, Zinaida Kolmogorvo, um, and then we have Simon Zolotorv, Rustim Vladimirovich, uh, Slobin, and Yuri Yudin. So that's me butchering Round of names. applause. Um, you got the the first names. I think you did really well. I think you nailed the first names, but the last names sounded very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I did the easy names first. <laughs> nailed it. Nailed it. Um, so they all went on this journey together to the slopes of Kolat Sigva and the Ural Mountains in Russia. So now this group um, were all friends prior to this hike. They all knew each other and they've been hiking together before. So they're not, they're all experienced hikers. Well, we're mm-hmm. experienced hikers. Um so just keep that in mind. So mostly all of them are students at the Ural Polytechnical Institute or were previous like alumni to the school, which is where their friendship comes in. They all met at this place. So this group had taken a train and arrived in Ivedel, um, which is a town in the center of Svrvodaskia Oblast in the morning of January 25th, 1959. So according to Cole Morgorov, um, the train ride. So I'm only doing last names going forward, <laughs> just so everyone knows, because I hate my life. Um, <laughs> I like making myself look dumb. Um, oh my god! So the train ride was extremely fun and really happy, according to him. Um, this group took lots of photos. Now we know this because many of the members kept diaries, uh, which were found, and also photographs. And there were four cameras found, which I'll just get into a bit later. 
Um, so after getting off the train, the group took a three-hour ride on the back of a truck from Vishav to District 41 logging site. Now, when they got to there, one of the members, Yuri Yudin, got some, like, like his he got a flare-up of sciatica pain. Um, oh. Yeah, which, if you've Can had I? sciatica, you cannot go yeah. hiking, like, at all. Um, no. He decided to not continue with the ski trip um, this group was on and headed, actually headed back home, which ended up fucking saving his life. So, um, Oh, nice. Yeah. The following morning, the group left on their hike up the mountain. Now, a lot of these um, accounts are able to be told because of the diaries that were found at their site. Um, so we're able to have a somewhat clear understanding of the days leading up to this group's disappearance. On February 1st, the hikers started late in the day, um, um, like later in the day than they had anticipated. Uh, so the path they chose was extremely difficult and because of worsening conditions in the weather. Um, so it's like fucking freezing over in Russia. So it was all snow. Um, yeah. Uh, they took an altered route from their original route, but they didn't notice that because of the weather. Oh. Yeah. So, um, they had walked two and a half miles and reached the, reached a slope on Kolat Sivaka or hold on Kolat Sikalva, um, which was 10 miles away from where they actually were intending to head, um, which is Mount Oriton, Oriton. Yeah. So they got lost as fuck. Is yeah. <laughs> so they they ended up realizing they went on they went two mile two and a half miles away from where they were intending. Um, so they decided to pitch their tents there. Um, so this February first journal entry was um, the last entry made before like the weird and most bizarre mysterious disappearance and deaths occurred. In my opinion. Um, so now before the group headed out on this adventure, Igor Dilatov said that. They would, like, before they even started this hike, they, he told Yudin, um, Yuri, Yudin, um, that they would send a telegram as soon as they returned. So, planning out their routes, Igor didn't think this would take longer than February, like, up until February 12th. Um, however, before um, Yudin, d- like, departed from the group because of his pain, Igor had um, told him that he thought it would be a little bit later than February 12th. So when that day rolled around and there was no telegram, there was no immediate like, oh my God, there's something bad that happened yeah. reaction because he told that it could be like a couple days later. Yeah. However. He gave some oh shit time. Yeah, exactly. And especially like with like the worsening conditions and they're hiking a mountain, you know. Yeah. So however, so by February 20th, there was still no telegram. So this one people started to get worried and panic set in. Um, at this point, family and friends requested a search party and a bunch of volunteers set out to find the group. Uh, eventually the army and the militia forces became involved and used like airplanes and helicopters to help out as well. Um, on February 26th, uh, the volunteer group came across the like, the lost like hunters. Fuck. I don't know where my brain's <laughs> at. Um, came across the, uh, lost hikers tents. Um, now what they found was something straight out of a horror movie. Law wow. enforcement got involved quite quickly. The tent was completely torn apart. However, it was cut from the inside out. Oh the, yeah. The tent door was still closed shut. The tent was also covered in about 15 to 20 centimeters of snow. And it seemed that the snow came from like the blowing winds. Um, so over like the days that they went missing, the group's belongings were all left behind. So they didn't take anything. Um, also noted was eight or nine sets of footprints made from bare feet, which led from the tents. Yeah. From the tent to the edge of the woods, um, which was about a mile away from that tent. Uh, so these people tore out of their tent took and took off to the woods basically with nothing but barefoot yeah wow so um yuri oh i I lied i'm not doing just last names um (laughs) um i'm pretty sure i switched it up halfway through so i apologize ahead of time so yuri kurvishinko who is 23 and um dorshinka um who was 21 their bodies were found first they were found about a week after this tent was discovered. They both were underneath a cedar tree, which was not too far from the original campsite. There was remnants of a fire, so these men were alive after running from whatever happened at the tent. Um, 
what else is weird is that the tree that they were under had branches that were broken up to five meters high um so it's like one of them climbed up to like look at look at something or like for something yeah um also both men were in their underwear oh yeah doroshenko it's cold (laughs) yeah um doroshenko had burns on his head and foot dried blood on his face and some minor cuts and bruises um krish von shinko had some had like these minor cuts and bruises and was missing the tip of his nose oh yeah i mean like frostbite or like i was gonna say it could be frostbite yeah um it didn't go into too much detail but um he had also had burns on his hands and had a chunk of his knuckle was missing which was actually found in his mouth oh yeah uh igor dilatov 20 who was 23 um Kolo Morgrove, who was 22, and Slobin, who was 23, were the next three bodies that were found. Now, all three of these bodies were found wearing pretty much next to nothing as well. Um, so even though it was like minus 13 to like minus 22 Fahrenheit, so that's not our oh, wow. Celsius, that's Fahrenheit, um, during their trip. So like, you wouldn't be in your underwear. No, absolutely not. No. I wouldn't be outside, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and like, even like sleeping like that even if you were in your tent i don't think you'd just be butt naked like or like in your underwear no yeah so i wouldn't be at least yeah i'll get into it a bit later but it's it's weird um some were found only um so some of them were like just completely butt naked and some of them were only found in like their underwear and like no shoes it kind of varied so dilatov had minor cuts and bruises was also missing a tooth and blood on his lips it's also noted that his watch stopped at 5.31 a.m. Cola McGrove um, had also had bruises and cuts and had a large blunt force bruise, which was of unknown origin. Um, Slobin was the same cuts and bruises, however, had a fractured skull. However, oh. the fractured skull wasn't seri- serious enough to kill him, apparently. So please just oh, note that. okay. Yeah. Um, so they didn't find the rest of the group um, for a couple of months, which is additional four bodies. Um, it, I believe it was around May um, where most of the snow had thawed by then. So three of the four bodies who belonged to um, Thibu Brignoles, who was 23, Dabina, who was 20, and Zolotorf, who was 38, um, were found inside a ravine, which was located 187 feet into the woods. So those footprints that led to the woods the the edge of the woods it's those woods that they were found in um so now what is interesting is that these three were wearing a ton of clothes so it seems they had taken the clothes off their dead friends and put them on for warmth oh this was the theory um that their friends died they took their clothes and ran into the woods um i don't know why they wouldn't just go home or like back to the campsite where all their stuff was and left and not just take their friends' clothes. Yeah. Considering you left everything at that campsite. Um, but that's the theory. So you, there are pictures of, like, this tent, and we're going to post it. It's not like the tent was completely covered. Like, they found the tent. There was yeah. only 15 to 20 centimeters of snow, and honestly, it's not that much. It's like, yeah. to us, it's like a dusting. But Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's the theory, is that they took their clothes off their dead friends. Because, like, Dabina was wearing, like, certain um items of like her friends that weren't hers um so what is really even more weird about this is how some of these three people had actually died um so thibu brignoles suffered major skull trauma moments before his death dabina and zolotorv had major chest fractures which be oh. which would similarly be seen in victims of a car crash so oh. they were subject to such extremely high damage however they had no external wounds associated with their fractures which means they would be hit with such high level of pressure which is really weird so all of their like their chest was completely shattered but there but was no, no like, bruising? bruising there was no bones sticking out there was no evidence they only found that because of the the autopsy wow which is crazy to me uh so the four bodies that were found in the ravine all had soft tissue damage to their heads and faces which is obvious i mean like if they're in a ravine there's going to be damage to their face um especially in that cold weather um yeah the creepiest death to me and i'm sure to many people is dabina so she was um so out of all the there was nine 10 hikers um 
One of them saved their life by leaving, but two of them were women and the rest were all men. Uh, So Dabina, she was one of the bodies found in the ravine. However, she was missing her tongue, eyes, and part of her lips and facial tissue. Wow. A fragment of her skull bone was also missing. Um, It's also noted that she had blood in her stomach. So I'm no doctor, but if she had um, blood in her stomach, that means she was alive when her tongue was ripped out oh my god i didn't think of that yeah so she had her tongue ripped out and she swallowed all that blood but she died of chest fractures i might vomit yeah i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) wow okay yeah so what else is weird i was thinking like like animals might have eaten her eyeballs or Mm -hmm. like you know what i mean but Mm -hmm. like maybe not no (laughs) no it's very it's there's a lot of theories to this but I'll, i'll get into that um, so what else is weird is, um, a camera was found strapped to Zolotor's neck. So this film was too damaged. So when they tried to develop it, it was all just blurry. Um, three other cameras were found at the campsite that they could develop. So there are pictures of like their journey. Um, and there was nothing that very weird on them. Um, or so they say, I'll get into that later. Um, also if you're like running from your tent, why did you just leave all your clothes and like take your camera? <laughs> so he was found at his yeah, like his dead body was found with his camera strapped to his neck. Yeah, that's weird. Unless he like just happened to be wearing it at the time that he started running. Yeah, but, like if you're like sleeping in your tent, probably not. No, and I don't think Maybe- I really. I'm I'm so convinced. I've I camp a lot and I camp in the cold. There's no fucking way in hell I'm sleeping in my underwear or my bra. It's not no. happening. No never it's too fucking cold i I slept in a coat in july or no when we go june june June. yeah no it's cold um so my theory on the camera thing is whatever they were running from he was like i must have evidence yeah so he grabbed it hoping that if he was found like they would have pictures yeah it that's that's what i'm thinking yeah but the pictures were too blurry they couldn't develop them unfortunately yeah So I'm just going to sum up all the deaths and how the deaths were ruled. So on their certificates. So Dolotov, uh, Doroshenko, Krivoshenko, Kolotov, um, Kolmovorogora, and Slobin all died of hypothermia. Uh, Dabina is said to have died from internal bleeding and severe chest trauma. Um, Thibiu Brignoles died of a fatal skull injury and Zolotorv died of severe chest trauma. So at first the investigation was like closed and there was no conclusive evidence on what the fuck happened. They just like found all of them and they're just like there's every time you look at the bodies and see how they died it's just mind-boggling because an avalanche can't hit you this like it can obviously hit you but it wouldn't give you that much damage as to, like, the car crash. Yeah, you're more likely to get, like, suffocated in a in an yeah. avalanche than, like, 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 blunt force trauma injuries. Unless there's, like, I don't know, like, a giant boulder or something coming down. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There wouldn't be... Most people... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying there wouldn't be that much trauma to the bodies. And if it was an avalanche, you wouldn't make it out of it to go hide in a ravine. Yeah, and just like the strange, like the 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 missing tongue and the missing eyes, that doesn't happen in an avalanche. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Especially if she was alive when that happened, I could un- I could see like her being dead and like an animal coming by and like eating. Yeah, you. that was my first thought until the the blood in the stomach thing. Yeah, she's not just gonna happy be like, take my tongue, it's fine. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, so yeah, at first, like the Russian government, they closed the case. There was no conclusive evidence on what the fuck happened, so it kind of just remained unsolved. Um, however, Russia reopened the investigation in February 2019. Oh, wow. Recently. Yeah. And that's where I'm going to leave it off for today. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Dun. Um, so next week is we're going to get into some of the crazy fucking theories and the theory that came out in 2019. Um, there's also articles posted this January about it because people are just convinced there's a certain a certain thing that happened and I don't fucking believe it. So oh there guys there's 22 fucking theories 22 theories on this oh my gosh i have no idea what it could be so i don't think it's a person that they were running from no because like they'd have to be outnumbered and there was no footprints right 
No. Oh my god, Danielle. There was, <laughs> but there's eight or nine sets of footprints that led from the tent to the woods. Number one, what scared them so bad that they had to cut their way out of the tent? Yeah, from the inside out. Yeah, they cut their way out. Mm-hmm. Oh, did it come from within the tent? Did one I don't of them know. snap or something? Oh my god, Danielle. Number two, there was eight or nine sets of footprints that ran to the edge of the woods, but not all of them were found there. Two of them dipped and were found under a cedar oh. tree that was farther away from that. And they were up in the tree. Why were they in the tree? What, they were, what were they looking for? Who were they hiding from? Why were the branches broken? Why were they naked? It's just... Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. So when Danielle was texting me last night, she's like, how do you feel about a two-parter, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, just like if you can make the, the ending cliffhangery. She's like, I think it's a little bit cliffhangery. This bitch. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, I, I apologize if I butchered the names because I know I did and I said them like differently every single time, but we did our best. Yeah. And this case is fucking weird. It's so bizarre because like, I feel like if you were in a group hiking and there happened to be like some nature that happened, like whether it's an avalanche and they were trying to escape the avalanche their tent wasn't that covered they still no. they were able to yeah. find all of the they didn't have to dig for their items they saw the tent and, and just where they were found as well so do you, do you think they were trying to run away from the avalanche like is that what you're saying here yeah like that's kind of my idea is like oh there was an avalanche so they tried to run away from it but their tent wasn't covered enough and there was no evidence of an avalanche absolutely none no yeah. evidence of it and they it's just it's just so weird to me because like if there was an avalanche and you escaped it and you were safe, why not go back to where your stuff was? What kept them from not going back? God, this is so weird. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. It's well, so bizarre. With that, make sure you tune in next week also because what the fuck, Danielle? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna discuss some crazy fucking theories. And it's going to be really exciting. And I'm here I'm for I'm just it. not going to do anything next week because I just want Danielle to just, like, do this, like, the whole hour just Danielle. <laughs> yeah. And we'll just talk about theories and blow your mind. <laughs> well, that was that was fun. I'm going to be stressed for a week now. You're welcome. I'm glad I could actually stress you out this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my head. The tables have turned. Uh, well, then, fucking come yell at Danielle with us on okay. our social media. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I won't read it. No, I'm totally kidding. Um, <laughs> we have Instagram. It's a spooky hour podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at spooky hour and you can email us at the spooky hour podcast 666 at gmail.com. And yeah, come come hang out with us. Come uh, vent your rage at Danielle because what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try not to Google it, but I'm just like trying to like think of things in my head as to what could have happened. And there's just yeah it's a lot i'm Any, not gonna google it though anything that you can think of is probably a possibility because somebody's thought about it yeah man i'm thinking like so far i've got some sort of creature so far i thought aliens we'll see i'm pretty sure there's a theory on aliens so i'll just i'll plop that one in there for you fuck yeah just all right you. well have a great week everyone yeah. uh make sure you stay tuned for next week because uh, i'm i'm ready personally yeah <laughs> we'll talk about some and- theories and jump into it and it'll be great so have a good week And stay spooky. Stay spooky, friends. Bye. Bye.